All right. So in our last message, um, setting the stage for victory. Now, this is going to be a, uh, an ongoing uh, portion here. We're in Joshua chapter number 8. Uh, that, that last message was called Cleaning House. And in that message, we looked at really comparing the historic battle that took place with the city of Ai with the battle that takes place within ourselves. We were talking about that battle between the flesh and the spirit. And what we saw was a reference to the fact that this, the city of Ai was representative or a picture of, of our flesh and the works of the flesh were representative in the inhabitants of the city. And now the army of God was representative of the spirit of God. Galatians 5.17 makes reference to that spiritual battle. In, verse, in Galatians 5.17 it says, For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. So here's the spiritual turmoil that takes place within the heart of man. In that message, we God, uh, God showed us literally uh, how the people were in, how God intended for them to deal with the inhabitants of this wicked city. He directed them, first of all, to deal with the enemies without. Now, these were the enemies that were outside of the city walls. These were those that the Bible listed as in the field and in the wilderness. And we correlated the fact that this battle against the works of the flesh is exactly what God calls us to do, which is to battle our flesh and the works thereof. Romans 8.13 says this, For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit, listen, do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. You want to be that person of God, that person who's God's working through their life. Listen, you must mortify the deeds of the body. In other words, you must kill the works of the flesh. And we discussed how that relating, uh, or how that was to be done. The way we fight the works of the flesh is through the sword of the Spirit, which the Bible defines as the Word of God. And we see that that's exactly what the inhabitants of Ahai were dealt with. When the, the army came against them, the Bible says in verse 24, they fought with them and they, they, they destroyed them by the edge of the sword. So after facing off against the sins in our lives, which represented now the field, is a picture of the world. What it's talking about is those sins in our life, those works of the flesh that we had in our life prior to salvation that are now lingering still in our lives. We need to address those. We do that with the sword. Then we're all supposed to take the sword and we're supposed to go to the wilderness. The wilderness is a biblical picture of the Christian life. And what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to address not only those sins from our past that still have a hold on us, but we're supposed to address those sins that are currently working in our Christian life, those things that are trying to draw us away from God. And they did that. Now, that's a wonderful step in the right direction, but then God warns them, hey, guess what? There's an additional enemy that you need to be worried about, those that are back in the cities. So we had the enemies without, and then we were supposed to deal with the, the enemies within. Now, these are picturing those sins that we have in us that we consider not to be a big deal relatively harmless, rather innocuous, trivial sins. Now, what happens if they're allowed to live little sin, guess what it does over time? It grows into big sin, right? And so what we find is the fact that this destructive force that's hiding inside of the city eventually would bring destruction to them. Because guess what? Those women and children that are there, they're waiting to avenge their fallen brethren giving us a picture of those very sins that we many times don't want to address. We don't want to look at the nooks and crannies of our hearts. And that, unfortunately, is going to set up a situation where those things, just like those women and children, would patiently wait for an opportunity to strike. Recognize the fact that God talks about our physical and spiritual enemies, and we've got to address them the same way. We've got to be willing to destroy them. It's not a partial thing. 
Like when we get saved, when we receive Christ as our Savior, we don't go, okay, you know what? I know what I'm supposed to do. Okay, I'm going to stop cheating. I'm going to stop lying. But you know, on the weekends, I'm still going to get hammered. It's not how it works. Right? James, uh, James 2.10 says this, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. It doesn't work that way. It is to be an, an all-inclusive thing. Now, does that mean that we're perfect? No. Are we going to make mistakes? Of course we are. That's a part of being human. But ultimately, what we're trying to do, what we're desiring to do, and our, our whole push of our life is to try to live a life that reflects and glorifies God. Now, we know what to do. Then it just comes down to this, will we do it? The enemies must be utterly destroyed. Because if they're not utterly destroyed, what will happen is they will regroup, and they will strengthen themselves, and they will fortify themselves, and they will return. Complete annihilation is the only way to truly have victory. But this can only be accomplished, not through the power of our will, not through our own personal desires, but because we allow the Lord to direct our battle, because God leads us. It's His power that fights the works of the flesh. There is no way we can achieve victory. It is only through His strength. So now, if we're going to conquer the forces of evil, it's through the power of God. At this point in time, we're going to pick up our story. What's happened is the population has been destroyed. The city of Ai is in ruins. And God is going to bring, bring finally, uh, the, the, the complete and total victory. And as he does this in this victory over, over Ai, what we're going to see is he's going to first do something really interesting. He's going to fulfill his promise to them in Joshua 8.2. Joshua 8.2 said this, And thou shalt do to Ai and her king as thou didst unto Jericho and her king. Remember, they utterly destroyed it. Only the spoil thereof and the cattle thereof shall ye take for a prey unto yourselves, lay thee in ambush for the city behind it. And so as we continue, when we pick up here in the setting the stage for victory, this is verses 27 and 28, what we're going to find is God is rewarding their faithfulness. That's what's taking place. We're going to see that he's going to reward it through blessing abundantly, and eliminating threats in our message this morning titled Spoils of War. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much uh, for allowing us uh, access to your word. Thank you for preserving it throughout time. Thank you, Lord, for entrusting us with it. And Lord, you know that my heart, uh, God, is not to be important, not to be heard. Uh, God, if I could disappear, I absolutely would. Uh, but you've called me to do this. And Lord, I just pray that you'd help me uh, to do the best of my ability to relay what it is that you've shown me, uh, God, that we're to see. Help us have ears to hear. Lord, not to sit and think we have all the answers, uh, but have a willingness, God, to let your word speak to our hearts. Lord God, if no one else is gripped from this message, if no one else is impacted, God, please let my heart be broken for what you reveal to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Joshua chapter 8, verses 27 and 28. says, Only the cattle and the spoil of that city Israel took for a prey unto themselves, according unto the word of the Lord, which he commanded Joshua. And Joshua burnt Ai and made it an heap forever, even a desolation unto this day. So what we see here is God's soldiers have done. They've followed uh, Joshua. They've followed his leading. They've done exactly what God expected of them. And they have utterly destroyed not only the city, but the inhabitants of the city. There are no survivors. And what we see is because of their obedience to follow God, our faithful God is going to reward their faithful service to him. That's what's taking place. He's going to reward them, first of all, by blessing abundantly. Verse 27 says, Only the cattle and the spoil of that city Israel took for a prey unto themselves, according unto the word of the Lord, which he commanded Joshua. So inheritance, in adherence to his promise that he made them prior to this engagement, he tells them they can have the cattle. Now, this is a big deal. Because understand, the designation cattle in the Bible 
can actually mean any beast of burdens. We're talking about cows, donkeys, camels, goats, sheep, you name it. These animals are linked directly to the main means of production. So recognize the fact that if it was raising crops, these animals are going to be used in the fields. If it's for transportation, if it was for the sake of wool or milk or meat or leather, these things are very, very valuable. In fact, in Genesis chapter number uh, 13, verse 2, as God's referencing Abram and he talks about his great wealth, notice this. In verse number 2, he says, And Abram was very rich in cattle, in silver, and in gold. So taking the cattle is a big, big thing. Understand, this was probably the lion's share of the wealth that was available in AI, which was in the cattle. But then we see they're supposed to also take of the spoils of the city as well. This would have been things like clothing, food, precious metals, weaponry, things of that nature. And we see here, understand, when they were at Jericho, remember at Jericho there was, there was a difference. They weren't to take anything at Jericho. At Jericho it was all supposed to, God, supposed to go to God and God alone. But here, God gives the increase to his people. Verse 27 says, Israel took for a prey unto themselves. God is rewarding their faithfulness with tremendous blessings. Now recognize, there are people that teach something called a prosperity gospel, right? That is, if you do something, God's going to give you something back. You give 100 bucks, God's going to give you 1,000 bucks. You give $10,000, God's going to give you a million bucks, right? These are the things that are used. This is, remember, when we're talking about the physical pictures, many, many times God's actually correlating that to a spiritual concept in the future. So many times, things that we're blessed with are spiritual. The peace of God that passeth all understanding that shall keep your hearts and minds. God's provision over our families, watching over those that we love, answering our prayers. God wants to bless us abundantly, but so many of the blessings, so many times, because we live in a materialistic world and we're all about show me, show me, show me, show me, show me. We want to hold it in our hand and God says, but the problem is because we don't have eyes to see or recognize our blessings, many times we take them for granted. People pray for things, man. They'll pray for years and years and years and years and years, and God will answer that prayer. And you know how long the thanks will go? A couple days. We prayed for five years for God to answer this prayer. What if we prayed for five years thanking God? Right? We lose sight of our blessings because we're so consumed with self. And so we look at this aspect of this, and we recognize the fact that, listen, God is providing them. He is blessing them. He's the one that won the battle. God, really, it's all through him. He did it all. He told them what to do, how to do it. They did it. They get the victory, and now God's going to bless them for simply doing what he told them to do. But see, God's good. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. God is consistent. He is a giver. That's just who he is. That's the heart of God. God desires to bless his people. He desires to bless them. And understand, he rewards faithfulness. Listen, our faithfulness is an excuse for God who's waiting to bless us, to bless us. That's his heart. God's like, man, I want to do something amazing in your life. Would you just do the right thing, you knucklehead? Right? I know many times he's looking at me and he's just like, oh gosh, if you would just get out of your own way. Recognize what he says here in Malachi 3.10. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse. Notice it says all. Right? Be complete. Faithfulness is complete. That there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now therewith, just wait and see, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. He says, not only do I want to bless you, but I want to bless you abundantly. 
And you see what happens is our blessings are predicated upon faithful obedience. When it came to Jericho, what happened? There was something that God wanted them to learn at Jericho. There was the first fruits of the new land, their tithe. God said, you know what? This is going to come to me. You'll learn from this to give me first. I'm going to take care of you. I got a bunch of stuff coming. Just be patient and wait. But there was one guy who was like, you know what? I just can't wait. Man, that's a sweet Babylonish garment. That thing looks good on me. That lump of gold, I'm taking it. And Achan took these things for himself. And because of his disobedience, it affected all of the people because he couldn't wait. But even in the midst of that failure, which is amazing because of how good God is, he took something that was a negative. He took something that was destructive and detrimental and against his will. And he literally worked it to teach them another lesson. Mm -hmm. Romans 8, 28. We all hear this first, man. And we, all, and we know all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. So we think about that and we go, wow. So here Achan did something wrong. And what we saw in chapter number 7 was all of chapter 7 was dealing with hidden sin. He showed them how to recognize it, how to deal with it, and how to make things right. How to get back to where it is they, who, who it is they were supposed to be. So this turmoil that they struggle with and all the things that were going on, they came to the recognition that, guess what? We need to recognize what has gone wrong. We need to recognize our failure. We need to repent of that failure and bring ourselves to God. They shifted from leading themselves and following their own desires and their own wants to following God. And what's amazing, when lessons learned, guess what? Faithfulness is restored. That's how God sees them. He sees them repented. He sees them restored. He sees them faithful. And can I tell you this, that when we blow it, because bottom line is we're human, we're going to be unfaithful. There will be days where we will fail God. We will fall prey to our flesh and we will make a mess of things. But when we are unfaithful to God, listen, if we will repent, repent means to turn away from. That doesn't mean, you know what, you know, I know I did this today and I know I'm going to do it tomorrow. But you know what, today, God, I'm really sorry. Would you forgive me? Repentance means that we stop doing it with no intention of ever doing it again. My heart's desire is that I would never, ever fall prey to that again. Does that mean that's going to happen? No, I may still. But my heart's desire is to turn from that sin. God wants to restore us. So he looks at us and goes, okay, great. You come with that heart of repentance, a heart of, dis of to recognize your disobedience. You want to be restored. And what's so cool about it is not only does God restore us, but guess what? He sees us as faithful. Though we were just unfaithful, God still sees us as faithful. That's a remarkable thing. You know what? That's the forgiveness of God. There's no trial period. There's no, well, you need to prove yourself to me. No, when God restores, God restores. It is an immediate thing. John, what, 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of some of, all of, our, some of our unrighteousness. No. All. Cleanse us of all unrighteousness. He says, I see you clean. I see you faithful. I see you righteous. I see you restored. That's the amazing forgiveness and love of God. It is remarkable who he is in comparison to who we are. So listen, if you've become unfaithful to God in whatever way it may be, massive sin or just something little, you just become complacent in your faith. Listen, when we allow our flesh to draw us away from God, all we need to do is humble ourselves. Recognize our failure. Turn to Him. Confess our failure to God. Repent of the sin of our life. Because you know what? We can be made faithful 
once again. God can look at us as, as faithful. So we see here that God is blessing them. He's most certainly blessed us. Man, we have been given so much. As the children of God in the world today, man, materially we are blessed. When we're in Malawi, we think about, oh my goodness, look at what they don't have. But you know the one thing they don't have is complacency with God. They don't have a sense of entitlement with God. They are brokenhearted, and they have ears to hear and a heart that's open to the gospel. The reason we have such a struggle in our world is because, guess what? This world's consumed with so much crap. There's so many things that distract us, so many things that we think are important that don't mean anything. And we're completely consumed with this stuff. Material blessings, you know what they do? They foster ingratitude. They foster a sense of entitlement. You know what stuff does? It feeds our flesh. And the more stuff we have, guess what? The more we want. The more you give someone, the more they're going to want. With a child, right? you got a bucket of candy. Here you go, buddy. One piece for you. They're looking at that bucket. What do they want? At least two pieces. Come on, man. That's a lot. Of, you got a lot of candy. There's only five of us. That's 100 pieces. You can give us more. And we go, man, well, you know, they're children, of course. We're older. We're more mature. But how many of us have a house that works just fine? It's got doors and windows, keeps us dry when the rain comes, keeps us warm when it's cold, keeps us cool when it's hot, we can sleep. But everybody's like, man, you know what I'd like to have? A nicer house. Wouldn't that be great? We got a car. Gets us from place to place. Hey, there it goes, man. I don't, it's dependable. I can count on it. But guess what everybody's waiting for? Man, I, man, I would love one of those 2022s, baby. Man, I'm going to roll up in that family. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Think about it. Our TVs, anything we want to see, we can see it clearly. It's on our TV. But what are we thinking? Man, if that bad boy was like, bam, that would be, that'd be awesome, man. I'd like to be in the back of the house and be able to read the words on the screen. That would be awesome. Right? Isn't that true? Guess what? We're dissatisfied. That's who we are. And it's our desire for things. And what happens if we're living ourselves or, or living our lives for God? You know what? Material items don't seem as important. But when we're living for ourselves, we can become fixated on things. If you ever have something that you want to get, and then you're like, researching. I found it for $5 cheaper. Hold on, I keep looking. Uh, okay, I can get it shipped overnight, free. Uh, right? Uh, and suddenly, well, guess what? It becomes the most important thing in the world. You know? I, I want, we're going to get a, a, a new Whatever. And man, we're going to know everything about it. But yet we're ignorant of the Word of God. Amen. A relationship to walk with God, a relationship to know who He truly is through a life of surrender instead of a life of fulfillment. It's such a difficult struggle. In America, it's harder, harder than ever. And one of the things when we go to Africa is it shows you the mess that so many people are in, the mess that we personally are in. You go there and you know what it does? It convicts you. It makes you go, you know what? I am way too, uh, way too into things. But we see this battle that's taking place within us. It's Again, this is the same battle we've been talking about, the battle between the flesh and the spirit. And what we have is the fact is, our because of our ingratitude and our selfishness, it's struggle for us. But when it comes to these Israelites, you know what we see? They've proven themselves. They've proven themselves to be faithful. They've not been about self. They've not been about sin. They've been about following and doing exactly what God says. And as a result, God blesses them with material wealth. And again, this is not a prosperity gospel. I'm not telling you. We do things because we're going to get something back. We don't. 
If you do something to get something back, can I tell you, in, in the eyes of God, it means nothing. We're to do what we do for the glory of God because we love God. Amen. It's the love that drives our actions. Jesus said this in John 14, 15, If ye love me, if ye love me, keep my commandments. You will do it, not because I command you to, not because you're fearful, but because you love me. Man, if we have a parent that we have a wonderful relationship with, and they say, you know what? Would you take out the trash? We don't do it because, oh, I'm afraid I'm going to run out. No. Man, I love them. I want them to know that I appreciate them. I'm going to do this because of the fact that I love them. And guess what? We're to serve God with the same heart. God's not a taskmaster. They're commanding and ordering us and, 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 and threatening us. He's a God who loves us, who wants to bless us, who wants to walk with us, who wants, who wants to have a restored and beautiful relationship with us. And what we do, we should do from our heart because we love that God, our Father, Abba, Father. He loves us. And what we see is a reverential people here, humbled before Him. And He's blessing them and for honoring and obediently following Him. When we talk about this concept, we think about the Apostle Paul. When he writes the letter to the church in Philippi, he's talking to them about the fact that, guess what? They would go beyond themselves. They were meeting his needs when he was on the road. And here he was. He, they were providing for him, providing for him, allowing God to work through them. And because of their faithfulness to do that on his behalf, listen to what he says in Philippians 4.19. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. It is this aspect of God rewarding faithfulness. And just look. What we're seeing here at AI, that's exactly what God's doing. He's blessing them physically. He's giving them material blessings. But guess what he's also doing? He's providing protection. He's going to offer them safety because notice what's going to happen. He's going to wipe AI off the map. It will no longer exist. The second thing he does is he eliminates Threats. Verse 28 says this, And Joshua burnt Ai and made it a heap forever, even a desolation unto this day. Now we know, actually, that it was the mighty men of valor and the army that actually burned the city. But I want you to pay attention to the wording. Look what it says. And Joshua burnt Ai. There's no mention of anyone, just Joshua. Joshua alone gets credit. And what this tells us, two things it tells us. First thing it does is it points us to the collective identity of God's people. Points to the aspect that they are seen as one behind their leader, Joshua. Thus pointing to the collective identity that we're to have behind our leader, the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, in the Old Testament, Joshua is a picture of Jesus. So they are seen as Joshua. We are to be seen as Jesus. John 17, 20 and 22. This is Jesus is praying in Garden of Gethsemane. I want you to hear what he's praying. This is a prayer actually for you and I. Listen to this. Verse 20. Neither pray I for these alone, talking about the disciples, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Those that shall believe. That's us. 2,000 years in the future, he's talking about us. And what is it he wants to Verse 21. That they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us. Listen, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. That the world would see me, not them. 
he would see they are a representation of me. Verse 22, And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one, that would have a single identity. They would look like Christ. Being a Christian means we look like Christ. We have the identity of Christ. And how we act, how we react, how we speak, and how we live. We stand as one. We stand as our Savior, representing Him. Last week in our message, Visiting the Fatherless, we talked about when God draws us to minister to someone, to be the hands and feet of Christ, we do it as a representative of Him. We don't go in our name. We go in His name so that He gets all the glory. That's what this thing's about. This life is not about us getting glory. It's not about leaving a name for ourselves. It's not about having plaques with our name on it or people remembering who we are because we were a great person. No. Ultimately, if we could be forgotten but Jesus Christ is magnified, we would have lived the Christian life perfectly. We're not going to. We all leave our own legacies. But man, how beautiful if we could just be a picture of Christ. And when we were left on your tombstone, what it just said, an image of Christ. Man, what a, what a life we would have led. Matthew 5.16 says this, Let your lights so shine before men that they may see your good works. And what do they do? They glorify your Father which is in heaven. And so God, as God obliterates AI through His faithful soldiers, He credits them as an individual, as Joshua. And when we faithfully minister to the needs of those in the name of Christ... Guess what we do? We function on His behalf. He gets the glory. We're a Christian. But you know what else He he does? He enables us to do it. God enables us to do great works through His name. And what this also does, it points us to the second thing, why Joshua is used in this terminology. is because God's simply telling us that we're only truly victorious through the power of God. Listen, short-term victories we can attain. We can sometimes have victories in our lives, but I'm just telling you, long, life-changing, lasting change, life-changing change is, that's a lot of changes, um, is through the power of God. Um, You see, the Israelites' willingness to trust, they were willing to put their faith in the representative of God, Joshua, and because they were willing to trust him and allow him to guide them to victory, they were victorious. It's through the power of God. It's through his strength only. And there is an ultimate victory. We see here at AI. But what can I tell you this? There's also an ultimate victory over our flesh. Listen, all that is accomplished, all that will be accomplished in this life is ultimately done through the power of God. If we see something miraculous in our life, if God does something in or through our life, the world tells us that the acts of God are coincidences. Who's ever heard that before? Yeah, man, what a coincidence. That's amazing. What a miraculous thing it took. That is amazing. What are the chances that that would happen? That's nuts. But it's purely by chance because it's a coincidence. Because guess how the world was formed? By chance, a giant explosion. Everything's by chance. Or the terminology like this. What luck. Man, what luck. You know what luck does? Luck is a terminology that was created to rob glory from God. Nothing happens by chance. God allows things in our life and watches all of life. And as God blesses us, instead of saying, wow, I'm so lucky, what if I just said, I'm so blessed? Because God is working on my behalf in situations that I don't even know about. There's times when God's protected us from stuff that we never even saw coming. We never had to deal with it, but he stepped in for us. And there's other situations and instances where he allowed something into our life that was tragic. 
And yet through that tragedy, he healed us, he restored us, he strengthened us, and he made us who it is we needed to be. Life is not easy. It will never be easy. But can I tell you, if it was, we wouldn't need God. He doesn't pave the way so that there are no issues and no struggles. There are bumps in the road. But it's the fact of saying, look, look, the more bumps I drive in, the more I realize I'm a bad driver. What if I could say, well, is there a better driver out there? Somebody who maybe knows what's coming? Yeah. Who maybe if I were to put him in the driver's seat, maybe I'd have a little bump, less bumps in the road? Yeah. You ever hear the song, Jesus Take the Wheel? I can't sing. I'd sing it for you. But the concept is amazing. Jesus Take the Wheel. God, you guide my life instead of me guiding my life. Because you know where we'll drive it? Right into the ditch. So Joshua burned Ai. Verse 28 continues. It says, And made it an heap forever, even a desolation unto this day. Okay? So now certainly this is talking about from a historical standpoint that AI is wiped out. It no longer exists. It's no longer, there's no record of even where it was. It is gone. But we remember what AI is a picture of. Right? It is a picture of the flesh. So what we're seeing right here is a picture of complete and total annihilation of the flesh. Now, there is no greater threat, there's no greater threat to Christians than our flesh. It is our worst enemy. Because the rule of this world, you know what he does? He manipulates us by preying upon our flesh's desire for pleasure. That's how he works. And yet, here we see Jesus, Joshua, pictured here, utterly destroying the flesh. And notice it's not temporarily. The wording is forever. That he destroys it forever. Joshua is completely eliminating the threat of AI. And what's pictured for you and I is complete and total annihilation of our sinful nature, our lustful desires, our carnal tendencies. We go, wow, that sounds, that sounds amazing. I would really like that because this struggle is really, really hard. I fail every day and I, I I'm just feel like I'm beat up all the time. There's a final victory over the flesh. Wonderful. Wonderful. And in that, it's never going to rear its ugly head again. I'm not going to have to see it or fight it anymore. You're telling me there's a day when that's going to happen. There is. Paul tells us about it in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 47 through 58. Listen to this description. Verse 47 says, The first man is of the earth, earthy. That's talking about Adam, the first man. The second man is the Lord from heaven. This is speaking about Christ. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. Listen, we're just fleshly. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. There's two different individuals. And as we have, and listen, at verse 49, as we have born the image of the earthy, we were born into the image of flesh and sinful man. That's us. We shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Listen to the believer. Now this I say then, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. When you see that term sleep, that's talking about a physical death for a believer. Our body will die, but we are, our spirit lives. He says we will not all experience a physical death, but we shall all be changed. Notice, in a moment... In the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. 
There's a terminology that we use in, that's not in the Bible. It's called rapture. Rapture means to be called up. That's what we're talking about right here. He says, listen, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trump, when that trump sounds, God's going to call us off this planet from the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. God's going to bring dead bodies and unite it with spirits. He's going to bring those that are standing here. Our bodies are going to disappear. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, we've become, we have a glorified body, and this mortal shall have put on immortality right there. Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Check this out. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death, listen, is linked to sin, and the strength of sin is the law. Verse 57, But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. There is a final victory over the flesh. It is coming. By way of the rapture or the grave, God will have a complete and total victory over our flesh. It will have no longer any control. As a born-again child of God, listen, can I tell you that this process has already begun. It's already begun. Because recognize, at the moment of salvation, God started to separate us from our flesh. Instantaneously. The Bible talks about something called the circumcision. Okay? Circumcision means to cut away. We're not going to get into the details of what circumcision actually is because I don't want to talk about it. But it involves cutting. Okay? But understand, it's cutting away. It's separating. And what happens at the moment of salvation is understand, when we're born, we are inexorably attached to this flesh. Everything this flesh does, guess what? The penalty rides on us. My soul is attached to that flesh and I can't get away from it. But the moment that we receive Christ, there's a circumcision that takes place. Our soul is cut away from our flesh. I'm still stuck inside of it, but my soul is cut away. Paul explains this to us in Colossians chapter number 2. In whom also, check it out, in whom also ye are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. This is a spiritual circumcision. And notice what it does. In putting off the body of the sins of the flesh. How? By the circumcision of Christ. When you receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, your bond to your flesh is cut. You will still live inside of it, but guess what? The penalty that's attached to this flesh, sin, guess what? It's no longer on you anymore. God has separated you. He has cut you free. You are already starting the process of being redeemed from this flesh. We're no longer bound to it. So now we see this cutting away. We're no longer, no longer inexorably bound. That's the word I want to use. Buried with Him, verse 12. Buried with Him in baptism. Wherein also you are risen with Him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised Him from the dead. And you, okay, this is who we used to be, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, you're still attached to your flesh, hath he quickened. That's an, that's an old English word that means brought to life. Hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Listen, our flesh is going to suffer a physical death, but your spirit will not. There's something called the second death we see listed in Scripture. That's the death of someone's soul who is cast into eternal fire. That's death twice. As a believer, guess what? We're born twice, and we die once. My physical body will die, but my soul will live forever. But if you're lost, 
You will be born once and you will die twice. An everlasting death. Man, listen, can I just tell you this? This, this body that we live in, it's a struggle. We battle with it every single day. There's this constant struggle against it. But though we're stuck inside it, but we don't have to allow it to have control. Verse number, 10, verse number 14 says this, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, the, the, the sin debt that we had, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way. What did he do? And it says, nailing it to his cross. See, God's already separated us from our flesh spiritually. So while we're attached to it still because of the physical connection that we live within this body, guess what? We're supposed to deny its influence over us. It's kind of like this. It's almost like your body is like a vehicle, right? It's almost like a, 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 a device. Have you ever seen somebody who passed away? You watch this body, and suddenly it just goes, just stops. It's like somebody getting out of a car and just walking away. The car just all of a sudden is just dead. It's just sitting there. It's just this vehicle. But see, what happens with our, our vehicle, our vessel, is that it has a will of its own. It has a, a driving desire. And you know what its driving desire is? To fulfill itself. It has a burning desire to feed itself with anything that is ungodly. That's all it wants. As I told you guys before, guess what? Our flesh hates God. Absolutely hates God and anything associated with Him. Galatians 5.17, we read it before. The flesh lusted against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. These are the contrary, the one to the other. They're enemies so you cannot do the things that you would. This is why we are so easily sucked into things like music, right? Whoever hears music and you're just like, oh, yeah. Next thing you know, you start listening to the lyrics and you're like, man, what am I doing singing that? Eey, that's terrible. But guess what? It draws us. Our flesh is hungry for those things of the world. Politics. Who can get into politics? Oh, man, people can get fired up and ready to battle with their family members over ridiculous things that ultimately are not going to change eternity. We look at all these things. Media. Right? You're clicking along and all of a sudden a video of cats comes on. You're like, oh, look at that. Oh, he's cute. Oh, isn't that so funny? 15 minutes later, you're like, what am I doing? I just wasted 15 minutes watching cats jump out of a hole. What in the world? What is wrong with me? It's our flesh. Things like gossip. You know what? Our flesh loves that kind of stuff. What are y'all whispering around? What, what, yeah. I mean, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course I want to hear what's going on. Tell me, man. Yeah. Oh, really? Uh-huh. I figured that's what was going on. Yep. Right? Doesn't it? That's our flesh. It wants all those things that are not godly. Our flesh is always hungry. So the daily battle we've been studying, that's what it is. It's this battle between the flesh and the spirit. So the only way to defeat it is through surrendering to God. Galatians 5.16, right? So it says, this I say then, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And you guys may feel like I'm beating that to death. But can I tell you, that's the, that is the solution to our walk with God. Walk in the Spirit. And the byproduct of walking in the Spirit is ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The flesh is our enemy. The flesh is our number one opponent in this life. And he's telling you, I can give you victory over the flesh if you will simply walk in the Spirit. Surrender to God. Allow the Spirit of God to guide you and not your flesh. And it sounds easy, but can I tell you, it's not easy. It is tough. Because our flesh is always on go. It's always looking. Because I said, it is starving for things that are ungodly. Mm -hmm. So what do we have to do? We need to strive to not allow our flesh to feed on the things of this world. Listen, this is, and this is the difficult because we're so inundated with so many things now. And understand, as Christians, 
and fulfilling our calling to be the hands and feet of Christ, the only way we can accomplish that is through starving our flesh. We do this by determining what we consume. Now, it's very, I'm using the word consume for a reason. Because understand, we can't uh, control necessarily what we see, see, or hear. Right? I can't control if something comes on and I spot it. But I can determine whether or not I choose to consume it. Right? To consume it means to receive it. To consume it means to choose to make it a part of myself. In the, in, in, in the Jewish culture, many times you'll see it in Scripture, Old Testament as well as in the book of Revelation. You'll see where it talks about eating a book, eating a scroll. That terminology meant that they were going to make it a part of who they were. They were going to consume the Word of God and make it a part of who they were. And this very same thing, we can determine what we consume. Listen, you can be inundated with all kinds of negative things, but you can choose to focus on it and consume it and make it a part of who you are. And guess what? Your flesh will respond. But you can also starve your flesh. When your body or when your flesh desires these things, you can go, no, no, no. You know what? I'm not going there. No, I'm going to click off. Or you know what? I'm not going to have that conversation. Think about this. We think about the parable that Jesus gives in Matthew 7, where he talks about being the house that's founded upon the rock and the house that's founded upon the sand. Okay? Now think about this. As he talks about this principle, listen. God rewards faithfulness and he punishes unfaithfulness. And listen, verse 24 of Matthew 7. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them. Okay, here's your faithful person. I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. We know that Jesus is that rock. And, listen, verse 25. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell not for it was founded upon a rock. The Lord is picturing for us, listen, an individual or a family that is grounded in the Word of God. They are grounded in truth. They are living by faith. They are seeking holiness. They are faithful. And we see that they stand against the storm. Verse 26. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, those that are unfaithful, shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And I want you to pay attention. The wording is absolutely identical. You know what God's telling us? This is the exact same storm. These buildings could be sitting side by side. The same storm's going to come. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and peed upon that house. The exact same storm. Two families facing the same adversity. Drug addiction, whatever it is, whatever destructive force is coming against that family. One has their house built upon the rock, and guess what they do? They stand. They stand through it. They stand in God. They trust and walk with Him. And look at the result of the other one. And the rain descended, and the flood came, and wind blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell. And not only did it fall, but it says, Great was the fall of it. And can I tell you, there are families all over this nation, people all over this nation that have founded their, the foundation of their life on the world. Everything they know, everything they trust is in the world. They know nothing about the Word of God. They don't turn to God when they're in adversities. They turn to their friend. They turn to their neighbor. They turn to their, to their brother or sister. Hey, give me some advice. Give me some advice. God tells us how to deal with adversity. He says, ground it. Build it upon the rock and guess what? You will stand. But if you don't, I can promise you, you will fall. Unfaithfulness simply leads to destruction. And unfortunately, many Christians live defeated lives. Many do. Not because they don't have the Spirit of God. They're saved. Not because they don't have access to the Father. They do. 
No. It's because they give their flesh free reign. Do what you will. And it spends all of its time gorging itself on the world. And can I tell you, that's a choice. It's a choice. In fact, it's the easiest choice. It requires no energy, no effort. It requires nothing. There's no planning, effort, or discipline involved at all. This is why lazy, undisciplined Christians, you know what they live in? Turmoil, frustration, disappointment. Why is life so hard? Why do I always feel so alone? Why am I constantly consumed with the darkness? The world is awful. Blah, blah, blah. Understand, perspective. If I know God's on the throne, man, and He's allowing what's allowing in my life, what if I learned the lesson like the Israelites did with Achan? What if I learned and I grew and I became somebody who wanted me to be instead of complaining about my circumstance and situation? That's okay to, to get support from your brothers and sisters. We're all here to help each other. But what I'm saying is it's perspective. God is in control. God is on the throne. And if we can trust Him, we don't have to live a life of turmoil. But I can tell you, if all you do is watch the news, you're going to be filled with fear. You'll be filled with turmoil. You'll be filled with frustration and anger and division. Because the devil's whole tactic is to divide us. God told us that we're to be one. But you know what? As a church, the number one focus the devil is about, this church, is just division. Just little pieces of division. I don't see the way you see. I don't want things the way you want them. And division is where the devil gets a victory. Because we only function, really function, when we function as one. We have the same perspective because our perspective is determined by based upon what this book says. I see the world through the vision of God. I see it with the desire of God's desire. And so when we get caught up in politics and all the crap of this world, and people go, well, what's, what's wrong with it? Listen. I'm not going to have a political conversation with you ever. Because you know what? It doesn't mean a hill of beans. If I get you to agree with me, guess what? The world's still in exactly the same state it was in before. And there's still people going to hell. And my focus, our focus, is to do the work of the Lord. That's what he said. The work of the Lord, not the works of the flesh. Our flesh loves division. It loves to fight. Man, it loves to argue. It loves to complain. It loves all that stuff. But God's called us to be so much more. And if we try to find our satisfaction in the world, guess what? It will never happen. It's like a puzzle piece. You ever build a puzzle and you find one piece and you're just like trying to figure out where it goes? And you like turn it, turn it, and turn it. No matter how many times you turn it, it just won't fit. It just won't go into that spot. Can I tell you, as a child of God, that's what this world is. It will never be your home. Once you've been redeemed out of it, it is no longer your home. You may have used to have a home, but guess what? You're no longer the shape that you used to be. You're a different piece. And no matter how many times you twist and turn and try to find a way to find satisfaction in this world, it will not work. You'll be dis dissatisfied and frustrated. But can I tell you, man, there is a home with God. When we surrender and we walk faithfully with Him, you know what He does? He allows us to find peace. He allows us to find peace. Listen to what Jesus told us about this place being our home in John 15, 19. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. Man, you would fit right in. You'd be so peaceful. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Guys, the world is not our friend. And it never will be. Listen, we shouldn't trust it. And we shouldn't depend upon it for anything at all. We were saved 
to be an image of God. That's what we're for. Romans 8.29. As we talked about Romans 8.28, God allows all these things to learn in our life. What? So that we, so he can do something in our life. But ultimately, what's he trying to do? He's trying to conform us. He's trying to shape us into something. Verse 29 tells us, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. What did he predetermine that we would be? To be conformed to the image of his Son. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. He is the Son of God. And when we get saved, guess what? We become sons and daughters of God. Part of the same family. So that we might be trapped in this flesh right now. Yes, we are. That does not mean that our flesh needs to call the shots. Listen, God has given us the ability to use these bodies of flesh for His glory. We can use this body to do something positive, to do something loving, to be something kind. We must deny ourselves to do so. Because, you know, there is a final victory coming over the flesh. There is no doubt about it. By way of the rapture or the grave. And our job is to strive to make an eternal difference while we're here in this flesh. Because listen, we're not promised tomorrow. Listen how Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, we read that whole thing, him talking about the victory. This is the ultimate victory over the flesh. And he finishes it in verse number 58 with this verse right here. Therefore, my beloved brethren, because you know there is a victory coming, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the flesh. Nope. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. If you'll just stay on focus, do what I've called you to do. It will not be a waste of time, I can promise you. Listen, we're all here just for a blip. Life for us is going to be just boom, we're here and we're gone, man. The tombstone has a date here and a date here, and there's a thing in the middle called the dash. And man, that's us. What do you do with the dash? For some of us, listen, we may live these lives, and when it comes to making a ripple in eternity, we're just a tiny little, little nothing. But what if God used our lives? to make a massive wave for the glory of God for eternity's sake while we were here. It's where our focus is. If we get caught up in our emotions and our flesh and all the things that are around us, we lose sight of why we're here. Because see, when you get to God and you stand before Him, there'll be no one going, there's no going back. There's no, I want another shot. Can I get another chance? Reincarnation is a fabrication out of hell. You're given one shot. And he's saying, look, do the most with what you can. Do the most you can with what I've given you. Whatever your flesh looks like, whatever it is, listen, your flesh is hungry for the sin of the world. Deny it. Fall on your face before God. Be obedient and faithful. Because what we see pictured for us today is a victory, a complete and total defeat over the victory over, over the flesh once and for all. But until then, until then, there is work to be done. There are people to be reached. There is a glorious gospel message that the world needs to hear. Not just from people like me, but all of us. Our job is to live the gospel. Not just talk about it. Not tattoo it to our bodies and tell everybody about Jesus that way. But to live a life and make an example of who we are. An image of the Father. Listen. These spoils of the war that we are fighting are the souls of men. 
God will measure the success of our life based upon the impact that it has on the souls of men and women and boys and girls. Time's running out. The question is, what will we do with the time we have left? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your love, for God, the way that you have worked in our individual lives. I thank you, Lord, for the adversities. I thank you, Lord, for the blessings. I thank you, Lord, for the fact that you've fought battles that we've never even seen. And Lord, I thank you for the victory over the flesh that we will one day all experience as believers where the flesh will have no more power. It will be completely destroyed. Thank you for what we saw pictured for us today. But Lord, while we're here, I do pray, God, that you'd help each one of us. Help us, Lord, to surrender to your perfect will for our lives. Help us, Lord, to deny our flesh and the desires that it has for things that are ungodly. And Help us, Lord, to see that if we will fortify ourselves in the word of God, build our life upon the rock, that God, when life comes with all the struggles and troubles that it will bring, God, we can stand and be a picture of you. So, Lord, I pray that you'll do a work in our lives. Help us, God, to be those surrendered vessels that you might use us. And for those that are here today, and you may be saying, I don't know where I even stand with God. I don't know that I'm a child of God. Listen, guys, 20 years ago, somebody asked me the same question. I did not know. They said, if you died today, would you go to heaven? And I said, I, I, have, I hope so. I wasn't raised in church. I knew nothing about God. But someone cared enough about me to just share the truth that Christ had come for sinful man. And I was a sinner. I knew that. And he came and loved us. And the fact that he was willing to offer his life a sacrifice for many. To redeem the lost. To bring those that were spiritually dead, spiritually alive through his death, burial, and resurrection. And when they told me that news, I realized I was lost. I realized I needed Christ. And that night, I changed, changed my life. It changed my eternity. The Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if you're here today and you say, look, I don't know where I stand with God. But I know I want a relationship with Him. Praise the Lord. He's calling you. He died for you. If you're watching this recorded, the same Spirit that's speaking right now to us is speaking to you. All you have to do is respond. So with their heads bowed and eyes closed, if you want to receive Christ, there's no magic ceremony. There's no magic prayer. It is literally just an open heart that says, I want the gift of God. I trust you by faith, and I'm asking you to save me. So their heads bowed and eyes closed. Repeat after me in your heart and mind if you want to receive Christ. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. And I am so sorry for my sin. I'm asking you right now, in the best way I know how, to open my heart and my mind. I believe that you died for me, that you love me, that you gave your life, that you were buried and rose again, proving you were God. In this moment, I'm asking you to come into my heart and to save my soul and give me a home in heaven. Restore me, God, the relationship that was broken. Restore it that I might live for you. For it's in Jesus' name I pray.